Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. As we continue our current series, Songs of the Summer, a study in the Book of Psalms, our student ministries pastor, Dave Cox, brings us the third message entitled, How to Cope with a Crisis, based on Psalm 46. We're continuing our series this morning. It's called Songs for the Summer. And what we're doing is each week we're, we're stopping, we're going to take a look at a specific psalm that's going to deal with a particular issue in life. And um, as you look back over your summers, over your lifetime, if you just started playing some old music from the past, wouldn't you kind of catch on? All these memories would start coming back to your mind. That's kind of what music does for us. And as I was thinking about today's message, it's, the whole topic is on the issue of a crisis. And as I was thinking back, man, did I have a crisis over summer, looking back on that? And I remembered a relational crisis. Do you remember when you had your first boyfriend or first girlfriend, <laughs> and then you broke up? Uh, I, I, in my high school mind, I had this great idea of when I met this girl on vacation that we should start dating. Didn't matter that she lived in upstate New York and I lived in L.A. and <laughs> It just made perfect sense. <laughs> of course, we dated, uh, broke that off. And I remember at that point when, uh, when you're hurting, uh, you experience some kind of loss. Well, I did what I thought would really help heal that process. I listened to music. Uh, coast 103.5. Love songs on the coast, you know? Uh, you ever done that? Think that helped? <laughs> of course not. Uh, but there's something within us when, when you're hurting that you want to relate something. Music just really has a way of expressing. Some songs are helpful. Some songs are hurtful. Today's song, for your crisis, whether you're in one or you're not in one, whether you're going to prepare for one, uh, this is going to be a helpful song. I really believe that. It's really encouraged me as I studied it. So it's exciting for me to be able to share it with you today. Um, crisis comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh, it could be a relational crisis, breakdown of your family, uh, breakdown at work, just relationship between friends, relational crisis. They can be situational. Uh, situations just work out in such a way that it seems like everything is falling in on top of itself. The world's collapsing and you're feeling it. Sometimes a crisis is emotional. Sometimes nobody around you would even know, but there's like an emotional storm that's going on inside. It's an emotional crisis. Sometimes it's just flat out physical. Uh, your body is breaking down. Uh, something's not working right. You're sick. The physical crisis. All these things can have a huge effect on us. So before we actually open up and take a look at the specific psalm, I want to just touch base on three truths that Scripture talks about about crises in general. If you have your outline, you can follow along in there. Three quick truths about crises. The first one is this. Um, they're unavoidable. They're unavoidable. doesn't matter who you are uh, in this room. Every single one of us are going to battle with this. We're going to deal with it. Uh, they're unavoidable. Uh, no one has an easy time through life. They're ine- inevitable. In fact, there's a scripture in James Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, whenever you encounter various trials. Key word is whenever. Because it's not if, it's you will. You're going to end up experiencing these. Um, I was reading something this week uh, about how to avoid certain kinds of crises, accidents. This is what it said. Here's some safety tips. Don't ride in a car because 20% of all fatal accidents occur there. Well, that's really practical. Thank you. Uh, uh, Don't stay at home. 17% of accidents occur there. (laughs) 15% of fatal accidents happen occur to pedestrians. Do not walk. Uh, 16% happen on air, rail, or water. Do not travel. (laughs) Uh, The good news was 0.001 only occur in church (laughs) of fatal accidents. What? Like, what do they do? Choke on communion? (laughs) I don't don't even know how they get these statistics, but uh, you could try to avoid them. You're not going to avoid them. They're unavoidable. 
The second truth about Christ is that we know is this, that they're unbiased. Unbiased. It means they're impartial. A crisis can happen to a good person or a bad person. It can happen to a believer or a non-believer. They're unbiased. There's a scripture in Matthew 5.45. It says, he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, Christians are not exempt from trouble in life. You're just not. Uh, a couple of years or many years back, I had a, one, a roommate that was running a room for me. And he had gone away on this missions trip. He comes home and he left his car parked out front. And uh, he, he comes home to this site where his car is about half the size it used to be. <laughs> Some car just plowed into it. it. It really shrunk his truck to about half the size. But you think of it, out of everybody on that block, the one guy who's on a missions trip, his car gets totaled. Are we exempt? Isn't it just sometimes feel like even if you're doing the right things, life just doesn't work out sometimes. You're going to experience crisis, even if you're living a committed life. There are people that actually teach that if you're a Christian, you should not experience any kind of crisis. Um, you shouldn't be getting sick. You shouldn't have these kinds of things happening to you. That is just straight unbiblical. You look at the most committed people all the way throughout Scripture, and they experience these things. Whether it's Job, says he was the most righteous man in the world. Think of Mary. She gave birth to Jesus. She was a virgin. She conceived. She's pregnant. <laughs> Try and explain that one. I, it was an immaculate conception. <laughs> how, do you, how do you explain that? Uh, she went through crisis. People didn't trust her. Didn't trust her story. Uh, we can go on and on. Even Jesus himself, he went through it. So the, the only thing that we know that Christians are exempt from is hell. Uh, we're still going to experience crisis. But the difference is this. When you go through a crisis, we have a very different source of power when we do. Crises are unavoidable, they are unbiased. And the third thing that we know about crises is that they are unpredictable. Uh, you can't plan these things. They come out of the blue. Uh, I love that story. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 24. It's about Jesus and the disciples. Jesus says, hey, let's get in the boat. They go out onto the sea. You remember what happens? This massive storm comes up. They're freaking out because they really believe they might die. Um, but the very first uh, words in that verse, it says, without warning. A furious storm came up. That's what life is kind of like. Without warning, you could be into a crisis. Uh, pilots call, they have some, a term for something known as clean air turbulence. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Clean air turbulence is simply the fact that you could be flying along. You just can't anticipate or see it coming. But when you hit it, <laughs> you know it. Clean air turbulence. That's what a crisis is like. You could be cruising along in life. You don't know what tomorrow brings, the next hour brings, or next year brings. But when you hit it, you feel it. They're unpredictable. I hope you guys are encouraged this morning. Isn't this great? All right, let's pray. Go home. Um, so truth about coping with crisis. Uh, the fact is we can really prepare for these. We know we're going to have them. Whether you're in one now or you're not, we can really prepare for them. Um, the first point is this. We can really respond in two ways. We can re- respond in peace or we can respond in panic. Have you ever noticed that you put two people in the same situation, but they react completely differently? I see it all the time as a cop, uh, being on a street, uh, going on scene where there's an accident. Uh, two people in the same car. One is hysterical. Wah! The other one is just absolutely calm. You know, two people, same car, same accident. One hysterical, one not. I uh, see it with bad guys. Remember responding to a call, uh, two guys ripped off a store. They're trying to, you know, get away before the cops arrive. Uh, one guy, bad guy darts out the door. Uh, the next guy's following along. He gets the door and magically it locked. He cannot get out. The door locked. And uh, uh, panic, panic, panic. Well, of course, he gets taken into custody. He realized he was pulling instead of pushing. 
Uh, we panic. Uh, you can panic or respond in peace. Um, but in crisis, it's really hard to do that. We don't think the same in crisis. Our minds go cloudy. The world does not make the same kind of sense when you're in crisis. So the second fact about coping with a crisis is this, that we can prepare. We can get ready. There's things that we can do right now to help us have a plan for when those times come. And there's a psalm that's going to help us to do that. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. It's Psalm chapter 46. Take your Bible and open up to that psalm. Okay, if you're there, uh, let me do a quick overview of this before we actually read it together. Psalm 46, it's a song about, a t- it describes two different crises in the Psalms. Um, as you take a look at it, you've got to catch something. The, the focus of this psalm is, is not so much on the crisis, but it's on God in the midst of the crisis. It's fascinating. It's like a great newspaper article. It states the main point in the very first de- sentence. And then if you guys did, if any of you did your on-your-own homework this past week, you learned something. Hebrew language doesn't use exclamation points. They didn't have that. So when there was emphasis, they wanted to emphasize something, what did they do? Anybody remember? Several of you, right, yeah, they repeat something. So there's, there's a repeated theme that's in this psalm. It's in verse 1, verse 7, and verse 11. And you'll catch it as we read through this. So it's basically stating that, you know, we have a God, doesn't matter what your crisis is, that he is so stable, he is a safe refuge, ever-present help in trouble, that no matter what crisis you go through, you're safe. And he gives two examples in this. There's one where the world is in upheaval, nature seems to be falling apart. The other one is when nations are in upheaval. Let's take a look at Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and they foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. That That little word selah is actually in the original text. You know what that little word means? It means to pause. It means reflect. It means to stop and consider what you just read. If you're ever reading through Psalms and they put that in there, it just means you just read something really important. Stop and consider it. This Psalm has three of those in there. um, And you can see it really breaks the Psalm down into three sections. We just read the first one where the world seems to be in upheaval. Now it's going to focus on the nations. Verse 4 says, There is a river... Whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. And God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. There's that theme again. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And it goes on. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Verse 10, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, Three things I'm going to point out in this psalm. We're going to unpack this a little bit as we go through here. Because when you're in crisis, you're not going to be able to remember a lot of things. Uh, we got to keep it really simple. This psalm, I, I believe, gives three, I mean, excellent reminders that if you begin to practice these right now, when you're in crisis, let me just tell you, 
you'll respond with a much greater sense of peace. And if you're in crisis now, this will encourage you. Uh, So three things of how to cope with a crisis. The first reminder is this. Remember how God has delivered before. Remember how God has delivered before. Well, how do we see this? Let's read verse 1 again in here. It says, God is our refuge and strength. It says he's an ever-present help in trouble. The next word in there is what? Therefore, we will not fear. That's the main point of the whole psalm, right there in the first sentence. The key, the key aspect, and then it goes through this and says, I'll even prove it to you, that God is so safe. He is such an incredible refuge. Even in the worst possible disaster we could imagine, we will not fear. And he says, I'll prove it to you. And that's where you read in, uh, in verse uh, 2, it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give away. <laughs> that's a bad day. You ever experienced an earthquake? Uh-huh. I don't like a little one let alone the earth giving way. And it goes on. And if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, those waters roar, the foam, roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. It's a natural disaster. There's something about a natural disaster that gets to the very heart of all of our deepest fears. We are absolutely out of control. It's terrifying. Anybody like watching those science channels? I love those things. I watch, you know, tsunamis, super volcanoes, you know, the ones that will end the world. Meteors coming. I love that stuff. I will read it. Um, and it just gives you like 80 more things to worry about. You know, if you're on the East Coast, oh, this huge tsunami could come from, I forgot what islands, but, you know, 80-foot waves from Florida to New York. Whew, glad we're on the West Coast. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> we could go on and on. It's just, you know, natural disasters are out there. Um, and when they start striking, it gets to the core of you. But the very heart of Psalm 46 is this. Just remember who your God is. You remember that. In fact, remember how he's delivered before. Circle that word refuge. God is our refuge. If you're looking through uh, in Psalm, that's such a key word. If we give a literal translation, if we give, give a, to the closest to the heart of what this is, refuge just means um, uh, an, an abundantly, he's abundantly helpful in tight places. Like when you're in a squeeze, in the worst possible situations, that's the heart of this word refuge. When you're between a rock and a hard place, there's God. Now, the writers of this psalm, we actually know who they were. It's the sons of Korah. If you look at the t- right under Psalm 46, where it says that the little tiny writing there, that's actually in the original language too. That's inspired. We know that. So it says these guys, sons of Korah, wrote this. Well, who are they? Just got I'll just catch this: is that they are they were basically a priest. They led in worship, and as they were writing this, you got to catch what's going on in their mind when they're writing that God is our refuge, He is our strength, He is our ever-present help in trouble. Things are going through their mind. The Hebrew nation has an incredible history. Did God ever see him through incredible things? Think of those things. Trust me, anybody who reads this, when you say he's our refuge or strength, ever-present help in trouble, has that nation ever been in trouble? Well, at the time that they were writing this, I tell you, there's a flood of things that go through their mind. You remember when they they were in bondage in Egypt, the plagues came, they finally get freed, God moved, freed them. They're on the run, their back's up against the ocean. An approaching Egyptian army is coming in. They're about to get squashed. Uh, what happens? Oh, well, God will open the sea. An ever-present help in trouble. They rush through. Oh, no, the army's chasing us. What are we going to do? Oh, God will take care of that. He will send the sea back and drown them. Great. Uh, you can go on and on. Through the desert, they had a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. God would provide them food and water in this wilderness. Millions of people taken care of by God. King David, up against Goliath. Terror, I mean, the odds just look awful. 
ever-present help in trouble. You got to catch something. When they wrote this stuff, they know exactly what's going on. That's why Psalm 46 is such a key. In fact, this is the psalm that, that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that's where it comes from. Uh, this is just the whole heart of it. Um, as, we, uh, as we do this and think about this, I want you to pause and think about one thing. How has God done that for you? What about the God stories in your life? You ever recall those? Have there been situations in your life that you know it's just God? If you're a brand new Christian, you just hang in there. You already may have some. But do you remember those? They're so important. It's the even though situations. Even though my life is falling apart, I know this much. I know how God took care of me in this situation. There's a lot of them. I, as I was thinking about this, I thought of several in my life. Um, I remember when family members were waiting for test results. I remember decision on going into ministry. Huge decision. I needed clear direction. I remember when I needed clear direction when I thought about leaving ministry. I needed wisdom. I have so many situations that, that are coming to mind. And you do too. The God stories of your life. Remember how God has delivered before. How's he done that for you? Lots of stories. The little ways, the big ways. All these things so when the even those situations happen in your life, you got something to hold on to. Um, there's a little line that says how to prepare that's on your outline. I'm going to do this under each point because I want to give something very specific. Because we could say this now, but it's, it's going to be easy to do something. We are forgetful, aren't we? Uh, even important things we forget. Anybody ever forget an anniversary? Yeah. Sorry to get you in trouble right now. Uh, birthdays, <laughs> things like that. Uh, the other day I was looking for my car. I really thought it was stolen. It was out here in the park, church parking lot. What? I forgot I had driven my wife's car to work. I had passed it like three times. Uh, um, we're forgetful. Uh, embarrassing, but true. But we're forgetful. So how do we prepare, even in times of crisis, can we even prepare so that we can actually... How do we help remember these things in the middle of a crisis? Because when you're in a crisis, you can't even think about this stuff hardly. Your mind's spinning too much. And I would say this. Mark your trail. Mark your trail. I'll tell you what I mean. You ever been hiking uh, and you've got to just remember where you've been? So you either put stones there, you stack stones on top of each other, you tie little ribbons or something. That's marking your trail so you, you can remember your way. Um, in life, as we go th- get stories about how God has moved in our life, it's smart to think about marking your trail, remembering those stories. Don't let them go away. A way to do that would be an example as this. You create like a memory album of God's stories in your life. Maybe it's just for your family. How's God moved in your family? This is so important to God, this whole idea of remembering that he has emphasized this in different parts of the Bible. If you have your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 4. I'll just show you one example, how God wants us to remember this so much. Joshua 4. God just had this miraculous deliverance. Uh, remember how he parted the Red Sea? Well, he just did another amazing thing like this. He parted the sea again. We're only going to read a couple verses here, but you'll catch the heart of what I'm hitting at right now. Joshua chapter 4, verse 8, says, So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan. This is the river that just parted, that is now dry, and they're walking through, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan. 
at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Skip down to verse 21. It says, He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Verse 22, Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. He did what he did to the Sea of Galilee. And 24 says, He did this so that all the peoples of earth might know that this is the hand of the Lord. Idea, it's like stones of remembrance. Do not forget this, because as people, we tend to forget even the huge stories of our life. So mark your trail. If you're making a memory album for your family, just of the God stories, you know that you could probably add a chapter each year. It could get handed down generation after generation. And when you're in the middle of a crisis, you could grab that thing, open it up, and start reading it. I had a chance to hear a couple stories from two people in our church. You can take a look at the screen and hear their story. This is that I can remember very well that, you know, Lord pulled me through is one involving a um, jet fighter, you know, an Air Force jet fighter. And on this particular mission, the task was to go up and spin the airplane, spin the airplane, come back with data on, on different parameters, you know, engineering parameters. And what happened is we took the airplane up. It was a two-place airplane. I was in the back seat as an instructor. Had a Marine in the front seat. We went up to 30,000 feet, and, and as we were coming in on the area, and this is all photographed on the ground, that we did a vertical pull on the airplane when we got to slow speed and we let the airplane fall over. And so that the airplane would be sitting at about 35,000 feet with no airspeed and just falling vertically. God's brought me through a definite crisis in my life, something that I never expected that I would have to deal with, and that is with a chronic illness. Um, about three years ago, I started to develop this uh, skin rash on my on my arms, and um, I've always had you know small kind of skin issues, but nothing like this. And over the last three years, it's just developed into something that's really taken over my life. In fact, it was over like 80% of my body was this this uh, awful skin rash, and. Um, I went to a dermatologist, I've been to a naturalist, and uh, just trying to figure out what I actually had. And, um, you know, it's, it's uh, interesting to watch someone else go through a health issue and you never think it's going to happen to you. And then when it does happen to you and your life is impacted um, uh, as much as mine was, um, it, it really makes you stop and think uh, and t- take a real um, inventory of your life. The, as the airplane departed and started down, the airplane actually departed in control flight and got into a three-axis um, evolution, which we call the Lumpshavak. This is Cobra 5-1 declaring an emergency for Cobra The chase planes were telling us to eject, and and I was talking to the front seater and trying to convince him that we were actually doing what had been predicted. The airplane had gone into another mode, and... And when you looked at all the equations of motions, we actually could have predicted if we had taken the airplane on the ground and actually slanted the, taken the wing and twisted the wing on the airplane, which did happen in flight. The, the, the wing actually twisted on the airplane. The engine actually fell out of the motor mounts of the airplane. And when all this happens, we could logically on the ground have predicted that we would get the these reactions in the air. particular kind of skin ailment that I have, um, it's constantly painful. Um, it's constantly irritating. I mean, you don't want to wear short sleeves or shorts uh, because it's, it's, uh, it would be like the kind of thing where I would go out to my kid's soccer game with a pair of shorts on and before I would know it, there would be a, you know, a gathering of kids around me just pointing and trying to figure out what was wrong with you know, that guy. It started on my, on my 
arms and then it spread to my face and my neck and then my legs and it would just be the kind of thing that would itch constantly and then when you itch it it would just create more sores on your body and then and then it would eventually start to bleed and so I'd have to wear one or two or three different kind of shirts and and it was the, the the kind of thing where where I couldn't sleep at night. It would keep me up. I was getting uh, insomnia because I wasn't sleeping. It was affecting how I was relating to my family, how I was being able to function here at the church. Um, it just was it was really all encompassing. It kind of took over my entire life. And it's hard maybe to understand how a skin disease can do that. But with some diseases, they're internal and they're not as visible. But with this disease, it was outside and it was constantly there for me to get to. And uh, it. it really affected my entire life. Somewhere after the time when he pulled the injection handle, he asked me how we're going to end this thing. How is this going to end? And I told him, well, I think when we get into the thick air, I think we have a backup, which would be to fire the rocket that was between the front cockpit and the back cockpit. And when that rocket fired, the force from that rocket, because it's not right on the CG of the airplane, would pitch the nose down. And I was just waiting for that ideal moment to pull the handle. And that ideal moment didn't come till about, you know, 18,000 feet. And at that time, you know, I recognized the, the, the evolution of the, of the motion of the airplane, that it was repeatable. And because it was repeatable, I thought, well, I'll just wait till I see that, that one spot in there again. And at that one exact moment, pull the handle. And that occurred. I pulled the handle. This, the canopy whipped off the airplane. And the airplane stopped just like that. And um, I grabbed a hold of the stick to fly the airplane. And it was real solid, so I thought, oh, the Marine still has hands on the stick. So I wiggled the stick, and in, that, in airplane terms, that means get your hands off the stick. And he put his hands up, and immediately the airframe, the, air, the wind caught him, and whammo, his hands slammed against the back of the airplane. And he, his big Marine watch went tinkling by me. I could see the pieces just going by me. And uh, the, my helmet had come off my head and that had flung back against the side of the airplane. So I finally put both my hands on the, on the dashboard, grabbed the hold of the stick, and pulled it. And the airplane came out really low to the ground, right over top of a bunch of trees. And then zoomed the airplane up. Probably the lowest point I got was uh, just in the last six months because I wasn't getting any help from um, any of my doctors, or, or at least I didn't feel like I was. Um, and um, this kind of disease really starts to affect your, your emotional life. It, it, it affected my marriage. It affected my family life um, because it just kind of changed who I, who I am. Over the last three years, I, I've become... Um, uh, a much more difficult person to live with because I live with pain and I live with irritation constantly and um, it got to the point where I, I really had this conversation with God and one, one early morning I was driving into church um, to work and uh, it was really early about 5 o'clock in the morning and I just had this urge to like just take my car and just drive off the freeway just go off the embankment and just it would be better if that happened because it was this it so encompassed my life and it may be hard to understand uh, because it's it's not it's not a um, life-threatening disease but it it threatened more than just uh, my, my my life it threatened my quality of life and the kind of enjoyment I could have in life and it, it was it had affected me emotionally it affected me relationally um, and um, and it was it, it, it was a real low point for me well, if I look back on the crisis, the thing that I think I did really well was be prepared. I mean, both physically and spiritually. And if you're not prepared for both of them, you know, it's going to be high anxiety time. 
Today, uh, thankfully, three and a half years into this whole health journey, I've finally been diagnosed, and the, uh, my, my, my doctor and I have been able to work through a bunch of tests and biopsies and blood work to kind of finally figure out what I have. And for the first time in three and a half years, I'm, I'm able to wear a short sleeve shirt and go out in public and uh, just thank the Lord that we finally found the issue that I had and been able to, to resolve that and to be able to move forward. You know, you really are never in control. God is really in control. God's really the, the powerful one, and we should relax, I guess. Don't overreact. Relax and do your job, and know that the outcome is going to be in God's hands. Um, if there is a scripture that, that God brought to my mind often, um, it would be the scripture that we're looking at today. In fact, I was just reminded this morning as I opened up and looked at the homework to prepare for this weekend, just uh, what it says in Psalm 46. And it says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then later he goes on to say twice that the Lord Almighty is with us. And that just encouraged my heart, even again this morning as I was preparing for this, uh, for this time right now, just that God has never not been with me. He's always been with us. And he's that ever-present help in time of trouble. When we go through things like I've gone through or like others go through, what, may, what you may be going through right now, uh, God's going to be an ever-present help during that time of trial. Cool. Thank you, Brent and Skip, for sharing that. Wasn't that powerful? Uh, Skip, isn't he a great test pilot? Absolute calm. Like, I don't even know half the stuff he was explaining, but all I know is his plane was falling. That was actually actual footage of his plane. And if you didn't catch it, the wings of the plane were actually crushing in on the fuselage. They would they ejected their canopy to try and stop that spin. And, uh, in fact, what he didn't even know until he was on the ground is that the Marine that he was, he was testing uh, had pulled the ejection sheet, seat to get out because he thought he was dead. And it didn't go, so it was a hot seat. It could go at any moment. Bo- and when one goes, they both go, and they would have been killed. Uh, but for some reason, the Lord allowed that to stay, and no one ever had gone through that many revolutions and survived, and he landed. Um, but the key thing, you catch that. He marked his trail. He remembers that story. You know, even if he died, he was prepared. Remember God's stories of your life. So, awesome things. Second thing to remember in a crisis is this. Remember God's perspective. Remember God's perspective. The problem is that we're, when we're in crisis, we lose that so quickly, don't we? You can be the strongest person, but it's so hard to keep that. One of the first things that we feel a lot is that we're alone. Remember even the story with Jesus when he was in the boat with the disciples? God is sitting in the boat. Ah, they're freaking out. He is in the flesh, and it still breaks down. Um, if that happens to them, it will happen to us. We've got to understand that we could be shaken to our core if we lose the perspective that God is so with us. And that's Psalm 46. He grabs that. Does it so well. And these next couple verses in here, the situation it's hitting is the city of Jerusalem is going to be under attack. Um, overwhelming odds. They're going to be destroyed. But Psalm 46 gives God's perspective so much that it says uh, they, they just rest on the fact that God is in their midst, therefore they are safe. Take a look at it. Um, actually, before you do, let me just give you a little quick background. Second Kings 18 and 19, there's a little backstory to this. Uh, if you read those two chapters, you'll get, this is what most would believe that this, story, this psalm is referring to in this section. Uh, the, the nation of Assyria was coming to attack Jerusalem, and they're, they're basically like a terrorist nation. They just go squash whoever they want to squash, and guess who's next on the list? Um, they're going to go squash Jerusalem, and uh, King Hezekiah is prays to God, he cries out, and uh, is asking for deliverance, the city gets surrounded by 185,000 men. They're coming. 
In fact, in the morning, get ready, because your city is about to get destroyed. Then if you look at 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, it just says, uh, Then the angel of the Lord, in the evening, killed 185,000 men. And when they awoke, there were dead bodies all around. As they slept, God slaughtered the army for them. It's this fascinating story. But take a look at uh, Psalm 46. We'll look at those couple verses. Um, My pages are sticking. There we go. All right, Psalm 46. Um, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. There's that perspective. God is within her. She will not fall. 185,000 people around us, we're not falling. God is with us. It says God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. And in the morning, what'd they have? Dead bodies all around. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. That is just amazing, amazing perspective. Um, let me just give a, two quick observations right now from Scripture. Um, these are really important. I, the first observation I just want to give you is this, is that godly people regularly admit their own perspective. You regularly admit your own perspective. Let me say it in another way. From your window, from your view, when your world is crashing down and you don't get it, it's going to have the deepest, strongest emotions that you've ever felt. You're going to wonder, where in the world is God? If he loves so much, where is he? Do you know that godly characters all throughout the Bible were absolutely honest with their emotions? That's safe. God can handle that. Book of Psalms is full of it. Um, if you read Psalm 13 ever, it just starts out, David wrote it, it says, the first two words is, how long? How long, Lord? He's being chased. He's running for his life. How long? If you read the story about Martha, Martha just said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The disciples in the boat, what did they cry out? Lord, don't you care if we're going to drown? Don't you care about that? In Job chapter 7, verse 11, He was saying that I can't be quiet, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I have to speak. But they were all crying out to God. Even Jesus himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he experienced a spiritual separation when he was dying on the cross. You're still godly when you take those deep, hard emotions and you share with God your perspective. He can handle that. Second observation is this, though. Uh... It's okay to share, admit your perspective. But the second is this. Godly people admit that their perspective is also limited. It's limited. Um, That same Psalm 13 where it's talking about David who cried out, how long? You just read, it's only six verses. You read through the end and at the end he's praising God. Did his circumstances change? No, but his perspective changed. He admits his perspective is limited. We see it a lot of times in the Bible. Job said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. He cried out to God. He also said that, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. One of my favorites is found in Habakkuk 3.17. I'll read it quickly for you. It says, and catch this, even though, here's those even though situations. Even though my life has fallen apart, even though this stuff, listen to this. Even though the fig trees have no fruit and no grapes to grow on the vines, even though the crop fails and the field produces no grain, even though the sheep all die and the cattle stalls are empty, even though we may starve and we're about to die, even though all this stuff, he says, 
I'll still be joyful. I'll still be glad because the Lord is my Savior. I don't know how he's going to do it. God, you're bigger than I am. My perspective is so limited. I can't see how you see. I can't think how you think, but I know that you're my Savior. That's godly. It's hard to do. Um, You may perish, but you won't die. I mean, you may die, but you won't perish. Flip that around. Uh, You know, no matter what happens, godly people are secure in the perspective of God. Um, I like what Spurgeon said. He says, confidence will be greatly sustained by a clear knowledge of God. That's the 46. That's Psalm 46. If you take a look at Psalm 46, listen to how it describes God. I'll just point it out quickly. It talks about this healing river in the book of Isaiah. It has a reference to God acting as a river going around the city of Jerusalem. Most likely a reference to that. The idea that he is a healing river. The deepest hurts and things in your life, he is the God who can heal it. It talks about the most high, that there is no one wiser, there is no one stronger, there is no one smarter. He is the most high God. It goes on to talk about, um, it says, uh, God will help her, nations are in uproar, he lifts his voice, kingdoms fall, the earth melts. Uh, the one reason that they are secure, it says he is in our midst, that the God that is in your midst, you know you're not alone, though you cannot see him, though your heart and everything doesn't feel it, you know that he's in your midst. Psalm 46 just camps on this. That's why their perspective is so different, because they've got God's perspective on it. They even say the God of Jacob. That just is another reference to saying, remember how God's been faithful all the way from our past, from Jacob on, God is faithful. That's God's perspective. We need that. How do you prepare? Um, Is there a way to help prepare to get better perspective when you're in crisis? I think there is. I'll give you two quick things. Number one is uh, create a scripture promise list. What you hold on to when your life is falling apart are the truths of God's word. I remember uh, when I was had my first Bible, I was going through it, and I used to find these great verses, and I had, the back of my Bible just had uh, categories and verses to support it because I thought, man, if I find someone who has this need, I want to be able to share it with them. But you know what I found out? I used it more than anybody else. It was for me. I held on to those things. Memorized a lot of them. Because when your life has fallen apart, you need perspective. God's word. Make your own. Do it in the back of your Bible. Get a journal. Just start writing the ones out that you personally find. I gave you a little jump start. If you look in your outline and put a whole bunch of scriptures down there, you could just start with those. Great promises to hold on to because there's over 6,000 of them in the Bible. Have fun. (laughs) Happy hunting. Uh, Create a scripture promise list. The second thing I would just say is this. Create create a crisis song set or a CD. Uh, I use an iPod. Go on iTunes. I, ha- I literally have something called uh, uh, my crisis uh, worship set for times of crisis. Uh, currently, I have 21 songs in there. There's a scripture that's in uh, Psalm uh, 69.32. It says, those who worship God will be encouraged. Let me just tell you something. When you're in the middle of a crisis, when things are falling apart, you will not have all the answers. We are called to worship even though we can't see the end in sight. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Proverbs 3, 5 says, lean not on what? Your own understanding, because we don't get it. There's times that we need help to get perspective. And I'm just telling you, the times in my life when I've been hurting and broken, and I can't see the end from the beginning, I don't have strength to think on my own, I, I, I listen to those songs. I'll shut the door, put worship music on, whether I'm laying on the floor, I'm standing with my hands in the air, Just beginning to worship gives perspective. 
And some of you, if you're in crisis right now, you might need that. You might need that. Stabilizing. I'm going to give you one more. Remember not to overreact. Remember not to overreact. Um, It's easy to do that. Overreacting is so common. Uh, We overreact emotionally. We try and figure everything out. Because when life doesn't have all the pieces to make it make sense, do we usually build the best case scenario or worst case scenario? Worst. We're great at that. Um, So our mind just spins. So Psalm 46 has a great, great truth that gives a secret of responding with peace, not panic. It's a secret, even being able to do the first and second points we talked about. Remember what God has done in the past, how he's delivered, and just remembering God's perspective. And it's in Psalm 46, verse 10. Um, take Take a look at that. 46. I'll just read up to it. It says, Come and see the works of the Lord, in verse 8, the desolations he has brought in the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow bow and he shatters the spear he burns the shields with fire verse 10 the secret be still be still and know that i'm god i'll be exalted among the nations i'll be exalted in the earth the lord almighty is with us the god of jacob is our fortress it's saying be still quit striving stop trying to figure it out Slow down, sit down, lay down, stop your mind, and remember that I'm your God. Stabilizing. You ever done that? We need it. Keeps you from overreacting. Settles your whole life. Um, This song is really about the sovereignty of God. Jan just had that in her song as well. Sovereignty just means he's in complete control. If you have a sovereign in the land, it means he's the supreme authority, controls people and events. The sovereignty of God. It's something so clear in Scripture that God is sovereign. Words only used a couple of times in the Bible, but the truth of it is just everywhere. The hard part about the sovereignty of God is I could give a hundred stories or illustrations, but you will have a hundred more questions and so would I. But we do know this much. We have enough evidence that our God is so faithful. We know so much about God that we know that when we can't see the full picture, he's got it under control. Because when you hit a crisis in your life, you've got to have this settled by faith. And to try and figure this out in the middle of a crisis is a tough thing to do. So this is why, to even prepare, you've got to settle on the fact that the sovereignty of God is real. It's so real. I would not make it a ministry without this. Um, this is actually one of the most securing truths that I know. And I think about it almost daily, and that is not an exaggeration. Because when there's questions I can't answer, I rest on the sovereignty of God. If I'm counseling somebody, someone's coming to do a need that's just way over my head, I don't know. But I know this much. I know the one who knows and the one who is able. I can tell you that. Um, I don't have the words of wisdom for you, but I know the one who is a counselor who can provide the way. Let me lead you to him. In my life, when things don't make sense, it's the sovereignty of God. It's the one truth that uh, you just have to wrestle and settle with. So how do you prepare for this? How do you prepare to even have this truth down? It's just very simple. I'd say it like this. Daily remind yourself that God is close and that God cares. 
as you worship, as you pray, you affirm these truths about God regularly. Your habit is to lean on this all the time. So when a crisis comes, it's your first reaction. It changes your whole perspective. Let me just ask you a question. Did, did God know that the storm was going to come up when the disciples were on the boat? Did he know that that city would be surrounded by 185,000 people ready to kill? And he still allowed that? Did God really know the crisis that you've been through or are in? Did he know that? Of course he did. Because this is a truth that we can only learn by experience. You learn that you can trust Jesus Christ in a crisis only when you begin to practice that. He is trustworthy. So just know, as you walk through those things, God is going to prove himself faithful. But you take those steps and you lean on him. Um, and as, you, as we just close, just, if your foundation is being shaken, um, it's also a reminder that nothing in life is secure, not your relationships, your job, your popularity, any of those things. The only thing that is a solid foundation is your refuge and strength in God, in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we bow our heads right now, I just want to pray for you guys, and let's pray that these truths sink into our life. Well, Father, thank you tonight, or this morning, that, that you are a refuge, you are strength, abundantly available in tight places, you are ever-present, you are the Most High, the God of Jacob, healing river any need in our life it's you lord and we just confess that if we put anything before you um, we surrender that we just say we look to you first lord take this psalm lord um, want to know how to respond in grace i pray for anyone in crisis while their heart's broken uh, they can't even see clearly clear their mind is foggy and confused father i pray that the truths of this psalm would sink in and you'd bring encouragement to them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're in crisis, something going on, just remember, we have people who'd love to pray with you. They're in the back. We have a, a prayer corner back there. Don't leave without just walking with someone on that, if you're alone in that especially. Um, don't be afraid to share those times. Walk with your church. Uh, and we're learning more and more just to become settled in the fact that we have a God who loves and cares for us. And I want to leave you with a scripture. It's in Psalm 112. Verses 6 to 8, it's from the Living Bible. It says, The believer will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. He doesn't fear bad news, nor live in dread of what may happen. I love this part. For he has settled into his mind that God will take care of him. That is why he is not afraid, but can calmly face his foes. Settle in your mind. God bless you. We'll see you guys next.